Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Strategy Cafe. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the pitfalls of a setting up family business. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the advantages and possible challenges of bringing family members into the business. We're going to talk about dependency, uh, how things are done now and how they could be improved, acceptance and change, and some of the great things we're going to be going over next time when we talk um, about the continuation of what we discussed today. Uh, next slide, please. Oh, one too many. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt, one of the senior strategy facilitators at Alembic Strategy. Uh, while I have a background in healthcare, today I help leaders from businesses across all sectors solve some of their most difficult problems. Uh, we like to do that with a mix of facilitation, coaching, uh, training, and whatever else we can put together to help people out. Joining me today, my colleague and our fearless leader at Alembic, Nick Mayhew, which you may be, you may be familiar with already. And uh, Nick, if you want to do a quick intro. Hi, everybody. Uh, nice to meet you all. Um, nice to see you on the webinar this morning. Just uh, add a little to Matt, I, I guess, um, in my own facilitation these days, my focus tends to be on um, uh, helping people with um, the highest stakes relationships in the business, whether that's family business, founder business or other, um, and um, helping those relationships gain um, uh, um, alignment and success and become a way of moving forwards in life rather than people being stuck. Thank you, Nick. Okay, so before we get kicked off with our topic today, uh, we're going to take a quick poll, which we're going to refer back to a little later on. And uh, Nick, if you could send the poll out. So, um, poll this morning, what's the most common source of conflict in a family business? Just interested in these views. Maybe imposter syndrome, maybe succession, uh, working with your brothers and sisters, working with the family, I suppose. Um, we put in an option there, not hiring the best people. Just curious what everyone thinks. Interesting. Hopefully you can see the results there. So um, a bit of a mix uh, of opinions with um, um, a couple going for not the best people in imposter syndrome, but most of you kind of going for kind of 40-30 split, 45-36 split between succession and working with family. Interesting. Great. And we um, will definitely come back to that. Um, okay, so we'll get set off on our topic. So uh, you've spent your career building an amazing, successful business from scratch. Uh, you've got family uh, with kids starting to come out of education and look for work. Uh, many people in this position would like to share in their, share their success with their kids and uh, opportunities for them to help them in their careers. I know if I was in that position, that would be something that I'd like to do. Um, while there are a few good options available, one of the most common routes people choose is to invite children into their business. Uh, while this might sound like an excellent option uh, or not, I don't know your children, uh, there are some distinct advantages and disadvantages worth considering. So on the plus side, uh, you're probably providing excellent learning and professional development opportunities for your children probably up and above what they might get otherwise. 
Um, they may inherit the running of a really successful business and could have a fast track to management. Um, and they'll have strong, experienced business mentors to help them with the ropes, assuming, uh, assuming you're any good, that is. All of these things combined, plus potentially shares, provides a lot of financial and career security. I think that's certainly a, a significant number of good advantages. However, there are considerations to be made around some of the potential drawbacks. Uh, firstly, and perhaps obviously for some, um, if your family is anything like mine, the chance of disputes in your personal life might arise from time to time. Uh, while bringing family and business together both adds another complex angle to your disagreement um, with things you won't have argued about before and also increases the total number of things that you might potentially have conflict around. Um, and another quite well-known challenge and angle to consider is that you can't easily separate yourself uh, family and business-wise. All of us are one person. Uh, and while you might be a little bit different in different environments, a family and work life always end up bleeding together to an extent. And when you bring family into business, that certainly um, happens more. Uh, on top of the obvious ones, there are factors like imposter syndrome when providing too much advantage to your children leads them to feel like they might not have earned it and maybe question if they're suitable for the role. And on the other side of that coin, uh, consider the non-family employee impact. How do you manage things like favoritism and discrimination? Uh, this can be a bit of an uncomfortable one to think about, but it is a reality when you're promoting family in your business. If you could give us the next slide, please, Nick. I think considering uh, the difficulties can be a really good place to start for some people, as they're often a little bit less considered. Uh, so firstly, when considering bringing family into your business, I think it's worth considering that it could be a really difficult thing to do, perhaps more difficult than you expect it to be. Um, you will fall out, perhaps a little more than you're expecting, and there will be plenty of challenges to work through on the way. So how do we prepare for some of these challenges? Uh, well, we were discussing this and we kept coming back to an interesting point of uh, a common uh, problem at the crux of some of the toughest uh, business family issues. Um, and that was imposter syndrome. So for anybody who doesn't know about imposter syndrome, um, it's the persistent inability to believe that your success is deserved or has been legitimately earned. It's a really tough, issue to address and resolve. Um, as firstly, it can be uh, present in a lot of different ways and varies a lot from person to person. Um, it also has varying degrees of um, presentation based on people's personalities. Uh, so for example, people with high confidence might feel it a bit less, but we're, we're gonna dig into that and explore it some, a little bit more in a minute. Um, while we were debating this point, uh, Nick brought up a really interesting thought on dependency mindset, didn't you, Nick? Uh, sure. So um, imposter syndrome, um, you know, is is well understood. Uh, I think and just want to associate it with this idea of of uh, dependency. Um, I feel like it's related to what I call a kind of dependency um, mindset or frame way of, way of thinking about things, a way of feeling things. So um, I want to take the debate a little bit more into the emotional side of life here. 
and maybe just you know for my part just start off by talking about um where people might be at or you know their contacts and connections might be at so you might be thinking about moving into the next phase of life as a family business or you know probably if you're listening you're either in a family business or you you know you you, you know about this already and um listening to what we say don't feel hopeless about it um we're going to come on to talk about solutions and, and what have you um and you may be thinking as we start to talk that you know perhaps we shouldn't have started from here but we can only start all of us from where we are right now um and that's true for all of our clients and it's all solvable so i just want to start with a kind of more of a hopeful comment for everyone who might be experiencing some of the issues so, so, you know, taking away from the context of family business for a moment and just thinking about what that does, does to the human being. So um, imposter syndrome, this sort of sense that you don't deserve it or you inherited it, but you didn't earn it. You know, it's kind of an interesting paradigm shift from uh, the people who originally founded the business to the next generation to come along um, and take over the business, but it didn't make it. Um, and, um, you know, it doesn't happen to everybody, right? But it can happen uh, that because you were in that stage of inheriting or being the next, you know, that um, that you're not sure uh, that you are uh, deserving of that opportunity, that you are the right person. And that kind of cuts to this idea of in, in, imposter syndrome. So it, it, it can make you anxious. Uh, so coming to the human, it can make you anxious. Um, and um, another way of thinking about it is this dependency mindset. So just think about this for a second. If you feel that, you know, you didn't deserve this, then it is likely, it won't happen to everybody, but it's likely to make you um, more needy about that. Uh, so uh, the idea, just turning it into something practical, you know, I couldn't get another job like this outside of here. Um, you know, the job that I've got is because of my family connection. The pay that I have is because of my family connection. If I was to try and work somewhere else, I wouldn't get an equivalent job because I'm not able um, and I wouldn't compete because uh, I've only known this world. Or if I was to get this job somewhere else, I'm, I'm paid more because of the family connection. My pay is high. And so um, I, I not only feel that I don't fully deserve this role, or, you know, um, have got here by my, my family route, but also I'm in a state where I can't go. Um, and, and sometimes that's made worse just systemically because uh, for the next generation, uh, they can quite often be told, I need you to come into the business. I want you to inherit. My shares are in the will. Um, provided you do well in the business and succeed ultimately to take over from me, then the shares will come to you, you know, when I, when, when the time comes when I die. And so in order to inherit the shares, people are often also told you have to be here. So it, it creates this sense of trap um, and it can potentiate two types of behavior. So let's say, you know, 20% of people are just fine with that and actually are competent and don't feel any anxiety and don't have imposter syndrome but for, for most of the rest it's either um you know moderate to severe and it's going to push us in two different directions it's going to likely make us have kind of a fight flight response um uh, so as that body energy comes up that anxiety comes up um, it pushes us towards our discomfort uh, out of a state of comfort or trust and into this kind of state of distrust uh, uncertainty not sure and that's just inherently more anxious and uh, so you have this classically either a fight or a flight. And there are more, there are more things than just those two, but let's just stick with those two because people recognize those. So the fight one, uh, so tends to be more political. 
tends to um, kind of try and keep people away from the job, tends to sort of create trouble, uh, to create, create conflict, um, holding on to the job um, by um, like managing the political environment to maintain status. So that source of conflict is fear and the behavior is politics and uh, conflict. And then the other side of the coin is the is the flight one. So the flight one is more around, and we see this a lot more around, oh my gosh, you know, I've just been landed in this amazing position. It's mom and dad's business. Uh, I can't destroy it, but they've let me have controls. Um, I'm just gonna drive really safely. I'm gonna go down to 30 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. I'm gonna keep in the straight and narrow lane. I'm not gonna steer, I'm not gonna overtake. I just want to go straight and narrow. So, you know, business survives by taking um, judgments about risk. You know, ultimately it's risk and reward. And so this flight response can make us be very nervous about taking the business forward. And it can stop people, I guess, really learning that and how to bring their potentiality, their power into the business. So, so I guess that's a nice way, neat way to think about why it is that the body reaction to this sense of imposter syndrome, or a sense of dependency where, you know, it's just a mindset, it's not a real state of things, can cause this confusion and leads to either conflict or, you know, under, under risk, low risk taking, not taking enough risk. Um, and those are things that you see commonly in, in sort of succession, next generation. And of course it kind of, you know, it, uh, it then gets a life of its own because the parents uh, who need you to succeed them or need you to do well, are kind of watching this behavior and going, oh my gosh, you know, conflict, not risk-taking, oh my gosh, what do I do, right? So it then creates anxiety in the parents about, you know, whether their uh, children are good enough, you know? So this idea of imposter syndrome becomes felt by everyone in the family and is the source of anxiety everywhere. So how how does that relate, Matt, do you think, to, to what you're talking about? It's interesting, isn't it? It's sort of reaction, reaction. So it can, it can lead sort of back to what I was talking about in the potential uh, difficulties so it's an underlying cause of some of the conflicts. And it's, it's interesting that people listening um, may identify strongly with some of the, those behaviors and think, wow, I wonder if, if some of those things you're talking about, Nick, are uh, part of the contributing factors to some of those behaviors. We, um, we, when we were talking through it, we, we came up with um, this really interesting graphic on this slide to kind of describe what we were talking to. Um, it's called the de defensiveness matrix. And we were talking about it in relation to um, imposter syndrome. So it was, the, it was describing um, kind of environment and personality traits, which could make it more or less likely for somebody to struggle or feel imposter syndrome. So on the kind of on the left side, we're talking about uh, somebody that is very high or low confidence. So this could be somebody that's a, a bit less likely to be affected um, by something like imposter syndrome because they have very high natural confidence. And then working with that along the bottom, we've got um, high or low obligations. So this could also talk to sort of pressure and exposure. For somebody that felt very exposed and was very low confident, you would probably see a more significant amount of the uh, reactions that Nick was talking to, um, or certainly somebody that was reactive, whereas somebody that was very high confidence and had... Uh, less in terms of exposure, probably less reactive. Do you agree with that, Nick? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, here we're kind of not talking about everybody, are we, Matt? But it's just mm -hmm. kind of, um, 
you know, many people and and often. And so I think that, you know, um, it's that sense of what have you got to lose, um, isn't it? Just aligned with just inherently um, how you feel about about things. You know, whether you, you know, kind of like uh, confidence is such a lovely kind of idea. It's like the state of the economy is kind of talked about in terms of confidence. If we're feeling confident, I think, you know, you, you go forwards, right? And you, you take a risk. Uh, if you're not confident, yeah, then then you worry and you don't. So. Okay, can you give us the next slide, please? Oh, on back. Great. Uh, so setting up uh, for success and avoiding some of the worst um, sort of pitfalls and things like imposter syndrome takes a little bit of consideration, uh, which is best done at the beginning, but it also works for family businesses trying to improve the way they're integrating their family members at, at any stage of what they're doing. Um, the difficult part is finding the right balance. So I describe this as finding the right balance for you finding the right balance for them and finding the right balance for the business. I've highlighted three key things here worth considering um, when we're talking about integration. Uh, the first is bringing family members in at the right level. So sometimes early promotion or hiring at the wrong level is unhelpful for the person that's being promoted. They don't feel like they've earned it or it doesn't feel like they have the right skills to do the job. Um, obviously, this one relates back to the imposter syndrome that we've been talking about. Um, thinking about the business needs as well. So uh, you need to be comfortable that anybody you are bringing into the business meets your standards of competent competency. So that's whether it be a family member or anybody else. Um, and finally, you need to have clear definition around the job and how it's going to work and what's expected of them. And this is something that can help manage how they're getting on. Um, and their imposter syndrome. Um, the second point I have in there kind of continues this thought. Um, I call it family fast track. Um, this is the idea that you are more likely to be promoted into senior positions, often by design, uh, but not always, um, in a family business. Uh, this is another area where discussion and definition is, is quite important. Um, and it also comes with a couple, a couple of considerations and challenges uh, for instance, if you fast track your family, then it's probably statistically likely that at some point a non-family employee is going to miss out on an opportunity. Potentially, it could, it could be somebody that's better qualified. And um, this is something that is worth um, asking yourself how you feel about. Um, you also will need to find a way for those people, whether they're losing out or not, uh, to be empowered. So non-family members empowered in your family business and bring in a healthy mix of people from the outside of the business um, to bring in uh, new talent. Again, this is a bit of a, a balancing act and speaks to what I mentioned at the start. So the best balance for you, the best balance for your family members, and the best balance for the business. Um, the final point there ties these things together a little bit, and it uh, might be the most important one to consider. Uh, and that's developing a personal development plan with your family members. This is opening up communication early on, it lets you talk about all of these topics that we're discussing now, um, and it gives you an opportunity to ask how they're feeling about everything. Uh, personally, I think it's great um, to start by acknowledging that they're a family member and things could be a little bit different for them. 
um, with power comes responsibility, et cetera. Um, and once you have an open dialogue around some of their issues, um, you can start to find the best ways to, to really help them out. Um, it's also a good opportunity to set them some clear goals and standards, which they'll need to meet to be promoted into the, the positions that you've got set out for them. Um, and it's a perfect opportunity to hit all three of those points, something which is good for you, good for them, and, and good for the business. Uh, as a final kind of lateral point I just want to touch on here, because it came up when we were discussing this, um, is that a PDP can be a great thing for um, family members in your business, but also for family members outside of your business. So all of the amazing things that a personal development plan gives you could also be applicable to family members that you've got in business, but not in your business. Um, Nick, how, how do you think that links up to sort of the traditional things which are brought into business, things like family council? Yeah, brilliant. Um, is it okay if I stop sharing, we just chat? Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I, I, so I, you know, think these are really good, Matt, and thank you for that. Um, and everyone uh, listening, just, you know, piling your questions while we're just going to talk now for a little bit about, uh, about some of this uh, and comments. We've already had a great comment from Graham on Q&A. You can also use the chat for this. So, uh, so Graham has, has talked about imposter syndrome, um, you know, and uh, talked about real imposters and, um, you know, people who sometimes deliberately disrupt. Um, and, and I kind of want to get into that a little bit. Um, I've, I've answered the question online, but I want to get into it a little bit. Um, Matt, I think you come at this from a really pragmatic point of view, kind of radical pragmatism, which is, um, I guess, culturally, there can be different views about family businesses. Um, you know, in the UK, um, you know, we want to do this at the same time, you know, we're really careful about discrimination. And I kind of just want to put that word out there, uh, nepotism, discrimination, right? Um, unfair preferment uh, within the business and how that limits you from getting access to real talent and just is inherently wrong and just kind of feels wrong in terms of values. But that's a cultural norm for the UK. Uh, if you head around the world and look at different cultures, the idea of family business is seen very differently. Um, it's not seen as discriminatory, it's seen as absolutely logical because these are the people that I trust most. Uh, and I know that I can trust these people to work together with me to make decisions in the way I think we should, right? And that comes into UK thinking, um, perhaps is spoken about less so because we have this sort of cultural preference for anti-discriminatory practices, which is, you know, how we, we approach things. Uh, I'm not, um, you know, stating here for or against either of these, just kind of just commenting on the different cultural approaches. But I kind of want to put it out there that you kind of got this uh, radical pragmatism. I think your view is it's going to happen, right? Is that, am I right? You are right. I think um, if, you look, if you look at the evidence of the proportion of family business members promoted through family businesses, it is likely that the idea of family fast track is is a reality, um, whether people feel a little bit uncomfortable about it or not. I think it's something which is, is, is worth considering. I don't necessarily think it's something which is not okay. It's just something which should be, should be managed. Yeah, and these are really good practical solutions that can help with that. And so we debate this with our family business clients. So one of the other issues with it being, uh, let's, I'm going to go for the word nepotism for a minute. Uh, it might be an uncomfortable word to put out there. I'm just going to sit with that word for a bit and just think about the implications of that. Uh, and I want to talk about it for a moment from the point of view of other 
other people, non-family talent. And, and how you know, it came up last night in a conversation with a senior leader in the family business that we act for, um, I can't stand up to the family. There's no way I'm going to risk standing up to the family. Um, it's my job is dependent uh, on this. I get well paid here. It's it's lovely. I just can't. So I'm naturally inhibiting my power as a senior leader within the organization because I cannot stand up to the family. Right. So so it just the other side of the coin is that you don't necessarily get best talent. Right. Uh, and even when you do have good talent, you you um, inhibit it and you prevent it from really showing up where you absolutely need it. Um, so, you know, how how do you solve for that? I think it's, it's one of the it's one of the points where clear definition uh, steps in to help to an extent. Um, while I definitely don't disagree with the idea of a, a family fast track or whatever you would like to call it. Um, I think that uh, degrees of competency difference do matter. If you have somebody that's very, very competent outside the family, um, it is a reality that you might be slightly dis disadvantaging yourself and your business um, in not promoting them. So defining that kind of in your, in your head and having clear definition around that and the basic competency measures that someone will have to meet to be promoted through your family fast track I think is a small but important uh, distinction. And I know it's, I'm making it sound very black and white and it's really not black and white at all. Um, but I think it's something that is, it, it's worth considering at the start and it's something that you're gonna put a bit of thought to and you, you might come up with a solution that's better and, and suits you. It's gonna be very different for different families. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. So, so I kind of take a, a kind of uh, I want to throw in a kind of an alternative world, an alternative possibility, which we do see in our clients. I think this is what I'm going to suggest is difficult to implement when you're just starting out on the family business journey. So, you know, first generation of succession, it's quite hard because typically businesses are a bit smaller at that stage. There's fewer people. Um, so in any case, you're not going to be uh, opening the business up to the whole world of talent. Um, even if you do recruit, you're going to just see some people apply. So I think, you know, debating whether it's the right talent or not is a little bit less meaningful in smaller businesses. It starts to cut when businesses get more, you know, uh, substantial and the potential audience for talent is the talent pool is much wider. Um, and so I guess this is probably a set of solutions that might apply to second, third generation, you know, when business is getting more into that cousin kind of environment. But here's two kind of ideas for you. and just kind of wonder how you react to these. So number one is don't let anyone join the family business uh, until they've already found a career elsewhere. So let's say just for a sense of you know, like um, some sort of radical cutoff, you can't apply to be in the family business until you're 30. Uh, and uh, let's hope by then you found a way to support yourself. Because you know, just to argue the, the pro for that, I think um, whether people are going to have that dependency mindset or not, doesn't matter everyone is going through that route um and so it can be for everyone um and whether they need it or not it gives everyone a chance to prove that they can survive in the world without family and so it's going to take down the potential for that dependency mindset or imposter syndrome because people are going to be at a level in their 30s where they kind of know more who they are they've kind of gone through a little bit more of life they've found a career level and they're considering coming back in more realistically uh as uh someone in their you know in that phase of life that is the sort of 30 to 40 phase but the family business is not um missing their leadership which is you know i guess classically your 40s and your 50s is when you start to step into those major leadership roles 
and is maybe gaining from outside experience. So I, I really like that idea. I just kind of wonder what you think about that. I think I really like that idea as well. Um, it sort of, it reminds me of um, inherited traits um, biology theory, where you send where you're bringing in different experience from outside the business, different traits, and each of them is adding to your culture. So an insular family culture. I know we're not talking about culture particularly here. Um, creates um, something that can be quite one-dimensional and doesn't change so much. So I think there's lots of advantages to sending people outside the business to learn um, kind of different ways of thinking, different skills, and bring them back into the business. And there is also a there's a degree of legitimacy that you can assess once somebody is kind of part of a career path, part of yeah. the business world, which is much harder to do when someone perhaps is just coming out of education. You might see that they're intelligent, but you haven't really um, you haven't really got any real world business experience to uh, to assess them against. Yeah. So here you can kind of mix and match, right? So uh, let's say for a real career opportunity, it might be that route, and it's policy for everyone in the family. Um, but um, uh, so it's it's kind of discrimination against family rather than pro family in the earlier years. And I guess you could moderate that by allowing people to have um, like apprenticeship experiences within the business, which are not permanent yet. So they're like time limited. So they can get started on things and they can get some experience of things. And that might be super helpful. And I'm also thinking that this requires courage from the parents, um, from the generation that's in the leadership um, roles, because um, right up front saying no um and asking your children as they grow into their adulthood to go and find their adulthood you know which is a thing that should just happen but it's very difficult for all parents it's just you know you kind of have to do that but it's difficult and here you know you might always have thought you might always have dreamed and hoped that it would be a family trajectory so it might feel like giving up on your hopes a little bit to do that as well you know um so so i think it requires courage and a bit of determination to do that do you agree I do. Um, how's, I think that immediately comes to mind is there's, there's always likely to be exceptions as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just just how to how to manage that. I, I think this is a could be a really really good solution for some businesses, and um, might be less appealing maybe to large thinking thinking larger businesses that have got um, positions that could provide a lot of that experience for, for family members. So it would be a legitimate uh, thing to bring them in at apprentice kind of level and yeah. up with the family business. So I'm kind of think, trying to think uh, of both sides and think about where, where that would work really well, where that wouldn't and where exceptions might be likely to be made, not need to be made, but might be made. Yeah, no, exactly. So I mean, that's an argument that we get back all the time. Like what about Sanso? It wouldn't have worked for them. Uh, you know, they were just, you know, uh, really good at our core trade and always wanted to do it and went to university to study it, for example, you know, and they can, yeah, obviously must come in. So you get that kind of counterpoint pushback. So it's an interesting idea and one to, one to explore. There's a couple of others that come to mind. So one is, um, again, this may just suit the more, uh, you know, a little bit further along, um, but it can be applied. So I also wonder about um, having no preferment in the operational side of the business. So all talent in the same um paradigm and therefore allows uh family members to apply for jobs and promotion and not get it and 
um, be outcompeted by someone who's not from the family. So everyone knows it's non-discriminatory. So that might work in our culture. It might not work in others, but it might work in UK culture. Um, but allowing that uh, preferment or discrimination to happen at the investor level and the governance level. So that could be around the board or in family council. And of course, if you've got the opportunity for it, you can use some of the business funds within family council to create alternative pathways, um, alternative uh, career experiences, which are not operational within the family business. So like just differentiating more around investment or ownership, which is kind of what the core of this is, but still not closed minded about operational experience, but within operations, just allowing talent to flourish as it should. Uh, regardless and, and I think you know my view would be that's good for everyone because if family members know they have to compete with any talent then it should pull from them uh, more striving uh, and, and pull them along. I, I completely agree I think it's, it's a really fantastic way to set it up if you can um, again my, my counterpoint is around how you manage the reality of that um, it's very difficult to implement a completely unbiased promotion uh, program um, when you have family business members who are influential through family council or ownership. Um, but I think it's a really, really good way of, of distinguishing areas where that you can still provide your family with advantage, with security, with um, some input and learning above what you would normally have in the business in their position, while still insulating a little bit from um, operational bias, which tends to be a disadvantage for yeah. business. So I think in an ideal world, that is exactly the split you should be aiming for. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think there's a couple of other things you can try to do around creating neutrality. So uh, like, uh, for example, in the, um, for the senior leaders, certainly for senior positions, maybe in the hiring process, you create independence there. So like family members should be, you know, recusing themselves from discussing the hiring of family members. Obviously, you can't do that if it's just you. But in a more complex environment, maybe you can. And the business has got a bit more scale. You could get independent um, NEDs in there. But, you know, you'd need to hire them for their ability to stand up to the family. Um, because they're going to have that emotional pushback uh, for yeah. it. Uh, and that's that's like maybe unlikely, right? Because they don't have any power, not really, just influence. I, well, I think I think non-executive um, directors are a really good route to help with this. Yeah. They, can, they can be more independent. They are empowered because they're on the board. They're less, uh, they're generally less, not bought in, but they, um, they're the kind of people who are more senior and might stand up in spite of it being a risk to their position. Yeah. When it's your own, when it's your job and your only job and you're tied operationally into the business as middle or senior manager, standing yeah. up to the detriment of your job is a really big deal. You know, it's a, it's a big disadvantage. Whereas non-executive directors, that's really part of their remit. So they're, they're well-placed to, to do that and, and give you some independent input and can help you in, in that assessment process. And I do think it's really important, particularly at um, senior leadership level or director level, um, that you have the right people, um, even if that means that it's not family. Obviously, the, the more you promote higher up, the more impact you have on the business. So the more negative impact a poor hire makes. Yeah, I think you can find this kind of solution, um, again, by um, by having neutrals. Um, so you know, I guess I guess um, uh, whoever this neutral is within the power structure of the business, um, the source of their power 
has to be political neutrality amongst the family investors. Uh, so if it's a chair or a powerful non-exec, um, the way they get that um, is not through politics. It's never through politics. Um, if they can, if the, the right character, the right person um, has an independent mindset, uh, sort of almost by traits, kind of knows the gig, uh, knows what's needed, will not play family members off one another, which is politics, um, and will kind of hold the whole group of family shareholders as uh, a set of set of needs together, and is strong enough to debate that. But they're only able to do that by having the trust of everybody. It can't be in a state of distrust and hostility. Um, it's hard to parachute into a state of distrust and hostility. And that environment is toxic and really difficult to navigate. And you've got to take the energy back down to trust from distrust to, to get to that space where you can kind of create that. But it can only, this power can, this power for neutrality can only play for the group if someone has the ability to generate trust from all the, all the power brokers in the shareholders. Uh, it's a bit of a learning experience for, for everybody involved when uh, this kind of new dynamics introduced. Yeah, um, and we've we've seen it a, a number of times, haven't we? And it can be a, a struggle, particularly if you have a um, a managing director who's who's very used to being in control, and then you decide to bring in somebody that is uh, non-executive who you've agreed their opinion you're going to factor into decision making, and yeah. maybe their opinion is in conflict with the person who's used to being in control. Is yeah. a is it a really important learning process to be able to work there? Um, neutral feedback into your decision making. I want to pick up on a point just briefly before we close and then bring everyone into the discussion that Graham Elliott has made. I hope, Graham, you don't mind me um, mentioning you. And uh, hello. Um, he sort of picks up this point about imposter syndrome. Isn't the bigger danger that there are real imposters and doesn't nepotism always lead to a large percentage of real imposters? Um, I guess it speaks to some experience that Graham can talk to us about offline in the sack. Um, but um, uh, we do see, um, um, I guess I'm going to make an assumption here about what he means. I'm going to real imposters. So, for example, uh, I remember one of my clients talking to me about journeying down to a board meeting on a train with one of the other family directors and the family director saying to him on the train, you know, I'm going to launch a hand grenade into the board meeting today and laughing about it, and joking about it. And this guy was shocked. He's telling me about it a year or so later couldn't understand where this guy was coming from, why he would do that, but he did it and it caused absolute chaos. Um, you know, just said something that would blow up the meeting and make it fail to achieve any of its objectives. Um, and so you definitely see that happening. So my, my point of view on this is that people always come to these behaviors through need of one sort or another. Um, even if their express behavior is disruptive and everyone is finding finding it hard to cope with, they are like normally they would call that person is difficult, but also we are experiencing difficulty in relationship to them. So everyone is in difficulty. Um, I think it's potentiated by um, this environment of uncertainty not being generally under control. So, you know, finding the emotional language, finding the dialogue, finding our way through things, bringing everyone together on it, bringing down the distrust and creating a place where we can talk, um, depotentiates uh, that kind of behavior. It just get, it gets locked out of an environment where it, it, can't, it can't thrive. And so I think it only thrives in environments which are already in conflict and it almost gets worse. It makes that, you know, it, it come, people kind of are encouraged by the, the political environment to be political and to follow their own agendas 
because they perhaps don't yet have the soul that can see the wider thing. Um, something that might come to them later in life if they're lucky, but perhaps hasn't arrived yet. So it just enables. And so the answer to that imposter behavior is to create the right environment. And uh, then it, you find it just, it gets under control in my experience at that point. Uh, one thing to add to that, Nick, just um, a thought. Um, I mean, the reality is if you're real imposters, if you want to call them that, you do find in business people that have been over over promoted happens in all, all businesses, family and otherwise. So yes, yeah, so you do get people that you might describe as that. Um, I don't think it's always through, uh, particularly through nepotism. And in fact, just I'm sort of playing devil's advocate to my point earlier on. Um, but you do tend to see people um, in family businesses, there is a certain type of person that takes very well to being uh, promoted through family fast track. Um, as they're, they are super committed to the business, they, have, they are more invested and have more to lose. Um, and they really uh, engross themselves in everything about their family business and they become the best candidate. Yeah, um, yeah they, they are very close to the, the directors. They learn from their parents and um, they become really fantastic candidates for leadership. I love that. I love the fact you brought us back to that and the positive at the end of this. So it's, uh, it's uh, always dynamic, right? And there's never one perfect answer. Uh, and every business is in a different place. So all of those listening, that will be true for all of you, I think. So look, thank you very much. I'm just going to share screen again, if that's all right with everybody. Um, um, I'm going to just go for this one. Sharing the right screen, Matt? Yeah. Um, and uh, just in a moment, we're going to close the session and open everyone up to join in the conversation if you want to for a few minutes uh, with me and Matt. Um, but we've um, talked today about some of the practical stuff and we've touched on some of the deeper emotional stuff. Um, but next time we're going to go deeper on the emotional stuff and really just hone in on this sort of successor, succession kind of point. So taking this um, next generation and imposter syndrome and anxiety and dependency right to the core of the of the change which is this relationship of the person who has succeeded and is being succeeded and the person who has not yet succeeded and needs to succeed and I think that's nice language which takes you into this idea that it's just intense reciprocal relationship where both parties are bound by it but they have different needs and then there's this phase of change or transition which is very difficult and creates lots of uncertainty. So this relationship itself, which is normally going for like five to 10 years before it's through, um, is very, very difficult for both parties to navigate. They've got very different stages of life, very different needs in life, but they're related to each other. They care about each other, but they also have complex relationship. Relationship to the business is shifting. Just so much going on in that space. And it's, it's this just incredible reciprocity of that relationship which you have to get into. And so the next time we're just going to talk about that and really dig deep into how do we help those two people in that dynamic navigate this incredible labyrinth of, of succession, which is which is at the root of all of this. And then and then just just thinking about it a little bit deeper. Um, imagine, oh sorry, imagine slide back. There we go. Imagine you're just on a generation or two, and um, those who are being succeeded are brothers and sisters or cousins already, and those who are succeeding our brothers and sisters or cousins already 
you know and so how do we then also manage like it's all within the family but it's branches of the family and so you have that extra kind of element of the tribal nature of it with different family groups um and kind of wider relationships um and how something for one you know cuts against something for somebody else so in the status and the hierarchy you can just see instantly how the lines are just so complex and the emotions are going to be triggered by that and um all of the governance structures in the world aren't going to solve that um it really have to address this from the human domain to to get to get through it so we'll talk about that next time so uh, that's coming up uh, part two uh, going deeper dive on the emotional side of succession on the 24th of november um just really addressing that emotional side and what people can do about that and intensely recipro recipro reciprocal relationship um uh, just a quick flag up for family business week that's coming up so this is with our partner organization the institute for family business it's a wonderful week lots happening you can go find out more about it on their website there's a little bit about it here it's the whole week from the 21st of november um go have a look there's chances to get involved in all sorts of amazing stuff around family businesses so if you're an advisor you know where you're in a family business or you're thinking about family businesses this is another good source of neutrality um, loads of people experiencing things like you, but not from your family and loads of really good advisors to go chat to. Uh, so you can get lots of common experience uh, from from this group, which was super helpful for any of the challenges you're facing. Thank you for listening to our strategy cafe. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Do feel free to share this recording with others that you think may find it interesting. You can register for our next strategy cafe on our website, alembicstrategy.com, in the Get Involved section. We hope to see you online.